Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of In the Dirt. Uh, today I'm really excited. We've got Ryan Priestley, uh, president of Priestley Demolition Inc. on the show, and we're going to talk everything demolition. So if you've never experienced much of demolition, we're going to try and expand upon what it takes to remove a building or a structure, kind of the, the intricate process involved in salvaging, uh, abatement, and, re- and remediation of structures. And take a look at the Priestley story, how they started and, and where they are today and, and how Ryan got involved and is is now president of, of the company. And also we're going to get a bit into uh, company branding and, and culture and why that's important for modern day companies to have and, and to invest in. So I'm really excited to have Ryan on the show and, and talk demolition. I myself am kind of a dirt moving guy. I'm more in the, the mining space than anything else. So Getting some insights into demolition is, is going to be great for all of you who listen, but also myself. So without further ado, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for, for taking time to be here. I know it's a, a busy Friday right before the holidays here, but uh, here we are. We're going to talk demolition. So thank you again for, for being on the show. It sounds great. I think before we get started, we should. I'd like to lay the foundation a bit and I always give the, the guests a chance to to talk a bit about you know themselves and kind of how the company is is, is started. So let's like take a step back and, and where did the the Priestley story begin? Well, my father um, dropped out of high school and had a had a landscaping crew and he was cutting grass and, and plowing snow and stuff like that. So he he started out in high school and and like I say he didn't he didn't finish high school and he never looked back and still to this day he can say he's never ever ever had a job only ever worked for himself. So it uh, started in Toronto. He, he grew up at the uh, Young and Lawrence in Toronto and his, uh, his father was a policeman for 40 years on the Toronto police force. And uh, my father would make more on Saturday cutting grass and my grandfather wouldn't the whole week as a policeman. So my father learned at a very early age that he was probably never going to have a job. And so uh, fast forward over the years, he, you know, did things like sell Christmas trees in their backyard down there and stuff like that. And then they moved to my uncle bought a property up in King uh, uh, township, which is, uh, you know, North of the city. And uh, he bought a farm up there. So then and my dad bought a piece of land up in Aurora here, which is nearby King. And they, uh, they had a garden center together and uh, they were partners for a few years in this garden center but then uh, quickly realized that they probably weren't going to be everlasting partners in business. So they, they, they separated their, uh, their business plans. And my dad went on to start a company called Vic Priestley Contracting. And at that point in time, it was mostly uh, landscaping, snow removal, etc. And then uh, in the late uh, 70s, he bought his first uh, excavator and, and small track loader, etc. like that. And then from there, it went on to little bit bigger stuff and in the 80s he had uh, four floats and he was doing a lot of heavy hauling and uh, we were doing some more like uh, road building and stuff like that and then uh, in the 90s it was more we started doing some sewer work and building parking lots and and, and doing some smaller roads again and uh, in 1993 he um, started Priestly Demolition so he started Priestly Demolition as a unionized version of Vic Priestly Contracting. So Vic Priestly Contracting was doing some small demolitions. It started out, uh, you know, one winter he had no work. So he, he bit a tender in the newspaper and tore down some houses and he saved everything. Toilets, windows, doors, you know, back then he saved everything. The trim, 
the kitchen cupboards if they're if they're any good stuff like that and with the property he had bought had a big barn on it so he put all the salvage items out of the out of the houses he was tearing down and put them into a barn and then in the summertime he'd have a couple big yard sales and try and sell stuff off so that's where that all stemmed from in 1993 we put about seven people into the union and we started priest demolition incorporated as our unionized company so we could start to bid work for uh, unionized customers like your general contractors, your PCLs and Alistons, et cetera. And uh, in 1998, he bought a small demolition company called National Building Demolition. And then in 19, uh, sorry, 2002, we took over some assets from a company called Tepperman Wrecking. We took over about uh, 15 men and uh, maybe four four machines, and we took over one of their contracts because they're in uh, financial disarray. And some of those guys uh, are still with us today. Some have retired. Some are still with us today. Some didn't stick around, but uh, that was really the, the 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 sort of the early years. Sort of fast forward to today, and they were almost 500 people, and we're working all across Canada and into the u.s so like right right from the start your your father was so detail-oriented about how he and rather meticulous about how he did demolition from saving toilets and, and trim and and windows and now growing into the the priestly name would you say over over the years the company has grown you know some of the keys to success have been acquiring other companies and, and growing in that sense to to grow larger and and serve uh more clients across the city there's no there's no question when you acquire a company you you either get some good people or some good equipment but if you make a great acquisition you get both so making an acquisition is definitely a a way to grow your company it's definitely a way to you know you know heighten your talent pool so um you know recently we just uh took over a small company called Dakota Reclamators out of Calgary. And uh, again, same thing. We get a lot of good people. You know, there's only 15 people in the company. It's a small company, but good people, right? So when it's, uh, it, it makes a difference when you're working in Alberta to, to have a, a nucleus of people to start with. And their equipment was great too. And that's, that's a, a very... It's a very good blueprint to follow, acquiring other companies and, and growing in that way. But I'm curious about yourself, Ryan. Like when when did you get involved with Priestly Demolition? When did that start for you and 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 why? Why did you get into demolition? Well, back when I was in high school, I used to do I fell in love with, with working with my dad when I was probably five years old. I mean, I just I, I worked every Saturday with my dad. We would go anywhere and everywhere. We'd grab the roll-off truck and a rubber tire back and go do a little job, go dig a pool or go do something. And we just uh, move a shed, a garden, you know, somebody always had a little garden shed they wanted to move or whatever. And we just would always go every Saturday, go to work and go do something. And I just rode around with my dad when I was, when I was a little kid, I probably drove, drove my first bulldozer when I was seven, my first excavator when I was probably eight or something. So and then in high school, I, I basically went to high school, but as soon as I could, I would go to work and I'd plow snow on the weekends. And I remember I was, uh, we had a contract at Aurora and I literally plow all the snow in the, 
in the big parking lot that we had the contract for and we push all the snow up against the light standards and then on, on Friday night and then on Saturday night I'd go back and I'd use the rubber tire back when I'd load a dump truck and I'd drive the dump truck around the back of the plaza and dump the snow and come back around the front <laughs> I'd work all by myself my dad would drop me off and say I'll see you in the morning and that was before cell phones and it was great so I just uh, I fell in love with it and then Slowly but surely, the demolition companies started to get more traction. Um, they're bidding bigger contracts, but there's always, anytime there's a PA day, like in the winter or March break or Christmas break or what have you, there's always work on our demolition side, whereas on our contracting side, not so much. You know, we'd, we'd lay guys off come, come Christmas and, you know, hire them back in the spring. So I think it just was... Um, I, did, I just got sent out on the demolition cruise. It's not that I liked it more or I liked it or, or I liked it less. It's just they always need a, a labor. So I just always got sent with the demolition crew and I would do whatever they asked me to do. I'd, I'd sweep the floor. I'd run the bobcat. I, you know, jump on the scaffold. I'd use the cutting torch. I would, I would, you know, use the wheelbarrow and the sledgehammer, whatever, whatever was going on that day. So, <clears throat> And then uh, after high school, I took a college program, construction engineering technology, and I had a lot of uh, good estimating and project management courses in it. And when I came out of there, I was, my dad wanted me to work in the office and I did for a few months, but then I basically said to him, I can't, I just got too much I want to do. I said, I want to be on top of our highest building. I want to be at the bottom of our deepest hole. I just, I want to see what's going on. I want to, I don't want to work in the office. I want to be in the field. And uh, so anyway, out I went and I was basically, you know, a supervisor on a project or something like that for, for five years. I would, I would, they would send me out of town a lot. I would do work, like, did a big, one of my first jobs. I remember we went up to Sudbury. I took down a five-story building in downtown Sudbury. But you just learned how to meet people and how to get the work done and some of the trial and turbulence of having a crew out of town and, what you're like from a contractor out of town coming into a new town and you go to the rental company and they almost look at you like, what are you doing here? Stealing our work type of thing. But I always tried to keep a good relationship with people. And, and it was great, great learning opportunity for me. And back then there was, there was an internet for sure, but it wasn't very, you know, as, as usable as it is today. You know, you didn't have a phone that you could search up on or anything like that. So I used to drive to the post office, get a phone book. And anything I needed, I had to look it up in the yellow pages, right? So, and before you know it, we'd we'd have these stack of phone books in our office in Aurora. And then, you know, there's ones for Ottawa, Kingston, Belleville, like uh, Sudbury, Sarnia, Niagara Falls, like, and uh, slowly but surely, we just kept bidding more work, getting more work. And then uh, I guess <clears throat> I was technically the president on paper since the start. In 1993, when we formed the company, my father really, uh, he gave me some, uh, some, some, some good leeway, uh, but really I was happy to do whatever he thought. If, if I said, dad, what do you think of doing this? And he said, I think it's a bad idea, but you should try it anyway and learn for yourself. I'd sometimes take his advice and try it myself and see if it was a bad idea. Or sometimes I'd try it and it would work or whatever it was back and forth, but we still to this day get along very well. And I like it like that. I just don't want him to have to feel like he has to work as hard. So now he's pretty much out of the day-to-day -day here at Priest Demolition. And he has a, he has a 
a, a big hobby in collecting. He collects like stuff, like antique stuff. So tractors, gas pumps, milk bottles, uh, old steel toys, stuff like that. So his, his house looks like an episode of American Pickers. And I have seen part of his collection, I believe is in the office, in the boardroom. There's, there's quite the display of models and both wooden and metal. And just, it's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing to see what, um, how passionate that man is about the industry, about equipment, about demolition. And it's, uh, so we were the first people to buy a high reach, um, in Canada. Uh, it was a, in 1993, we bought a Komatsu PC 400 high reach. We still have that machine today, but I mean, my father always was never afraid to take a chance or, or, or risk it, you know, if you will. But, uh, when we bought that machine, I remember people thinking we were, we were losing our minds. And in 2000, we bought some of the first 80 ton machines in the marketplace. We bought Link Bell 8000s and we bought one and we immediately bought a second one right away. And we had to work at the time. We were pulling out a bunch of concrete from a big plant in downtown Toronto. And these machines really made the concrete removal go so much smoother. And we had our own, we bought a crusher at that point too. So we were recycling our own concrete on site, et cetera. So fast forward to today, we have about five crushing spreads out working every day. It's just the same, only more. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Some of your comments there about how you were the first in the space to, to buy a high reach or to get an 80 ton uh, machine and kind of, you know, deployed and, and demolition over, over the years, in your opinion, how has the demolition industry, you know, changed? What is different today versus, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Um, I mean, it's not that long ago that, you know, 93, 1993, when, when Priestley got started there, but what has changed over the past decade or two in demolition? I think the biggest change has been, it's just like we, we've grown into be a, a large company, but so is the industry. Like the industry has just grown so much in the GTA. Our growth is probably uh, similar to the growth of the of the industry as a whole. So you just uh, you know, there's just more work coming all the time, and it's um, you know, I can tell you stories that were blue in the face about. You go to look and it's an empty parking lot. The next thing you know, we're doing a million dollars worth of work because we got to remove underground shoring systems or we got to remove an underground ramp or they're going to pour a temporary ramp through the new construction and we got to remove it after. And a lot of these jobs in downtown Toronto, it's just uh, always something new and exciting to, to look at. And you just, uh, you know, we did a million dollars of removals inside the new airport before it even opened. All of a sudden, they want to put in a, a new elevator shaft, and all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, this this is not not what we want." It's changing design. We got to remove all this, and the next thing you know, it's it's a lot of work. So it's just just for you know the building's not even built yet, and you're already doing all this removal work. So and it's uh, in Toronto, just the the overall construction industry has just grown so much. Um, it's just it's a it's just a big space now. So I'd say that's the biggest change is just the variety of work and the just the overall amount of work in in the gta here and i have to agree with you there as a as a guy from from out west in bc coming out to ontario uh, the few times i've been in toronto there just the the size of some of the projects and like you mentioned the complexity there's there's old 
buildings that are underground or old underground workings that are just been built over, paved over that now need to be rehabilitated or removed. And just the scale of the city. I mean, you look at that, that highway that goes in and out, there's a few, there's like eight lanes of traffic. I just, that that's unfathomable, unfathomable to me as a guy from uh, out West here in, in Canada. So. And it's like just the number of tower cranes in the air is, uh, is crazy. It's, it's, uh, I think somebody told me, this is maybe a year or two ago now, but Toronto has like 125 tower cranes in the air and the next closest city is Chicago, like 67. So it just goes to show you right there. And then just we have double the tower cranes of the next largest city in North America. Or maybe Canada, you ask, maybe not Mexico. I don't know, but it's just the amount of high rises going up here. It's just, it's, it's off the charts. Yeah, that's, it's wild. And that all pretty much equates to, to good business and construction. And of course, demolition too, to, to make way for new construction and uh, rehabilitate some of these older buildings and old areas that um, uh, need work. But kind of looking at the demolition itself, I I think there's a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions out there by people who maybe don't work in the industry, who've never really had any experience with it. So for someone who doesn't know much about demolition, you know, at first glance, they might assume it's all smashing and and wrecking buildings and structures. But why is that an inaccurate perception of demolition? Well, I mean, it, it, it might not be an inaccurate perception of demolition to some, uh, if they experience that through, through, through their past. I mean, that's definitely one way of doing it. And it still exists today. Like some people still do, you know, they use a, a, a machine with a bucket and they just sort of paw it down. Like they just keep, you know, using the bucket to knock it down. Um, but really if you, if you, if you get into the grassroots of, of the actual industry, there's so many companies out there that are just so much more advanced than that. I mean, just the whole idea of taking down a building is not, not just a piece of equipment or, or a stick of dynamite. It's, it's coming up with a plan and asking all these questions and to try and understand what's in the building from a designated substance perspective. Like, is there any asbestos in this building? Is there anything to watch out for? And I mean, that's, you know, the number one thing is safety. So you want to make sure that the, the guys doing the work are safe. And then you want to make sure you have the right piece of equipment. So you don't, you know, have a, a structural failure in a building while you're tearing it down. So then you need to get an engineered plan together. And then that brings a whole nother side of it. Cause now you need a demolition engineer versus uh, somebody who's trying to design a new building. And that takes uh, that takes some effort to, to vault that learning curve, to get those people on board with, with what we're doing here. And, I was just out in Edmonton the other day. We're taking out a column, and the floor slab is still in the air. So the floor slab comes to the column, and then we take the column out. The floor slab doesn't fall down. We actually have to push it down. Well, if you told an engineer that I'm going to remove the column, the floor is going to stay up, he'd probably have a hard time believing it. On paper, it probably shouldn't happen that way. But in actual reality, that's what's happening. So it's a... you know, trying to engineer these demolitions is is just so much work and there's so much goes into it now and all the software and drawings and stuff like that. It's just it's just uh it's a lot of it's a lot of work. So then then we start to get rid of the material on site. You gotta try and recycle the material or or divert the material from landfill somehow and we we still do a little bit of salvage, so we'll try and save things at the buildings that we think that we can resell 
uh, in our salvage yard. It's a, that, that's a, another piece of business that's very complicated and, and there's always different areas for different things. You know, getting rid of concrete in Toronto is not so bad because we crush it all here. We reuse it all, but some sensors are not like that. And I personally think, you know, demolition folk are some of the best recyclers on planet Earth. And to expand on, on your point about the salvage component component of uh, demolition, could you explain, like, the recycling component to demolition? Could you explain, like, what goes into and what kind of materials we're, we're salvaging and, and recycling? It's here in Toronto, the cost of getting rid of material at the landfill or at the dump you cannot afford to be in demolition. You have to recycle to stay in business. So by way of surviving in business, you become a very sustainable person or a very sustainable company because you're trying to divert from landfill. In the, in the, in the Toronto market, it's, it's always been like that. Like the, the dump fees in Toronto are a lot higher than a lot of other places. And it's because we don't have any landfills in Toronto. We've got to haul it all all in all out of, out, of, out of the city. So it forces you in becoming a, a very sustainable contractor. You, you want to minimize your garbage. You don't want to mix your concrete with your garbage. It drives the weight of your garbage up. And you, you, you don't want to put garbage in with your concrete because then when you go to get rid of your concrete, then they won't take your concrete because it's got wood or, or, or insulation in it. So you have to perform the demolition in such a way that you have a pile of clean garbage, clean concrete, clean steel, clean brick, clean. And it's, it's basically a source separation within the building site itself. So a lot of times if you see one of our demolitions, you'll see it looks like a mini scrapyard where there's different piles and the trucks come in and it's very, this, this truck is for garbage, this truck's for steel. And it's, it's almost a hundred percent recyclable. And to comment on your point about, staying in business, you have to recycle. Are salvage materials from projects, you know, sold to offset the demolition costs? Oh, 100%. So when we bid a project, <clears throat> you know, if there's, if there's a lot of steel in the project, then you would give the, the owner of that project a, a credit for the, the scrap steel in that building. If there was a, you know, we looked at jobs where there's like maybe a, Trying to find an example, but a boiler that might be worth twenty five thousand. Well, you you give credit for the boiler to the owner. Um, sometimes there's, we've had some projects where there's like a, maybe a turbine. Like if you're doing like a cogen plant, the turbine might be worth a million dollars. Well, you you give that million dollars credit to to the owner if that's if that's in fact the case. So there there can be quite a bit of salvage depending on the project. A lot of the buildings are older, so that a lot of the items in the building are older, but not all the buildings are old. I would say generally, on average, a lot of the buildings we tear down are around the 40-year mark, 40 years old. But we tear down buildings that are 2 years old, 20 years old, 10 years old. So those buildings have a lot of newer stuff in them. But when we built our office building here, we took down a Marksburg warehouse, and we saved all the lights, and we saved all the electrical and all the light switches and everything. And we reused them all when we built our office building. So you use materials from Mark's work warehouse to build the Priestley demolition head office at that time. Correct. That's fascinating to me. That's, I mean, that's just good stewardship of the land of the materials. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I don't, 
think I've ever heard a, a company doing that before. We saved all the structural steel for this building off a job. So we took down <clears throat> three floors of a building uh, and we basically, it was a, a, a steel structure. So steel beams, steel columns, steel open web steel joists, steel pen with, with decking on it. So we broke all the decking off with little machines. And then we saved all the bar joists, all the beams, and all the columns, brought them back to our yard and put them back up again. Wow, that's that's absolutely fascinating to me. And that makes me want to ask the other question, apart from steel and concrete and, of course, wood, what else is, is salvaged from demolition projects and what are some of the more unique pieces uh, Priestley has found? Well, you always get the unique pieces, is, you know, it can be a personal thing or what have you, but I mean, there's always, sometimes we, we get a, a project with a time capsule on it. Uh, sometimes we get, you know, we just took down the Gardner Expressway, saved one of the plaques. It's like a brass plaque. It says city of Toronto on it, it says 2001. And I, and I, I put it in a outdoor fireplace. I built at my house, <laughs> you know, I think it's just something cool to have. And, um, you know, my father, he, he's, he's got lots of stuff at his place that he saved over the years. I, I, I don't think, I think I always thought in the back of my mind, I better not be exactly like my father or else we, we need two 50-acre properties to put all the stuff, not just one. So I think I'll just let him do all the collecting for me on my behalf. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very passionate about it. And he, he, if it was up to him, he wouldn't throw anything away. He hates to waste anything. I admire the fact you guys save, you know, more than just photos from projects. You're saving key pieces of historical data or, or that just have sentimental value um, from each demo project. That uh, that alone is just a really neat you know, facet of what you guys do, I think. Yeah. And cu- also, also curious, not asking for you to necessarily spill the beans because it's kind of proprietary information, but how, how do these projects get bid? How do you look at a building and know there's $500,000 of steel or, you know, $1.5 million of concrete uh, to be recycled and offset the demolition costs. How does that, how does that work? Well, we basically bid it like anyone would bid any type of contract. We try and quantify what is, what is the job. So, you know, the amount of concrete, the amount of steel, the amount of garbage. Um, and then we try and, um, quantify what we think the, the amount of time would be and then we build a crew size and we we select our equipment and it's all through a software and out comes the number at the bottom so and when you've done as much work as us and you have it all through your software and now you have some data that you can use time and time again to show you where you're having more success uh, than others so have you ever run into surprises where there's more or less material than what was first? Oh thought? yeah, I, I wouldn't say I found a, a gold bullion yet, but we've had some jobs where there's been more, you know, more than we ever thought on the good side, meaning like more steel than we thought, or more, you know, sometimes it's uh, copper. You know, one time we did a job, we just there was just way more copper wire than we ever thought, so that that was like a win for us. That was great. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but you do get jobs where there's more garbage than you thought or more conquering than you thought, and those aren't quite as good of wins. So we've talked a bit about how you know demolition works, the salvage components, but I'd like to, to touch on the point that Priestley operates in Canada's largest city, 
And how do the logistics work? Like, how do you get equipment in, into downtown? How do you get materials out from projects in the downtown core? That's, that's a very complicated piece to the whole puzzle here, if you will. We do a lot of the logistics ourselves for our equipment. So we move a lot of our own equipment around ourselves. So that helps just so we can react quickly. And, you know, if we have a breakdown or we have something going on, we can sort of get one of our trucks on it right away. As far as the material goes, a lot of the people that we use are, you know, accustomed to working in the city. And we try and, you know, we try and plan our day around traffic and stuff like that. I mean, with this, with what's going on here in the last couple of years with traffic, it's been a lot better. But uh, there's days where it's, uh, if it's a snowstorm in Toronto, we shut down. We tell the trucks to stay home. You're not, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anything done today. So stuff like that, there's always trouble with, but uh, you just got to try and time your, your traffic as much as you can and be as smart as you can. We have sort of three people working in logistics all the time, trying to move our stuff around, make sure we get the trucks coming and going at the right time. And just for, for my experience in Toronto, and I think for anybody else who's been there, considering what you guys do and, and looking at the city and the traffic and the network of roadways and highways, it's just mind boggling to me that um, you can float in large pieces of equipment, obviously in, in, in numerous pieces, but just to get all that equipment in the city and all that material out in a timely manner and, and cost effective manner is, is amazing to me. Right. And it's um, we do a lot of on-site recycling too with their crushing you know, so we did a, a project uh, probably a couple of years ago now, but it was like a seven-story parking garage. We had our some of our biggest equipment in there, and the hole was about you know twenty-five feet deep, and we basically crushed all the concrete on site, backfilled the hole, left it level, and the shoring rigs came in and shored up the perimeter of this of this old parking garage, and then they started to build a new building. But instead of us hauling you know, 2,000 loads of concrete out and hauling 2,000 loads of dirt in. We recycled it on site and uh, backfilled it so that the, the, the rigs were on good hard ground and saved, saved everyone a couple thousand loads. Speaking of, of projects, if you look back over the last 10, 20 years, what have been some of the major milestones in terms of projects for Priestley? Well, there's no question that Terminal 1 was... Uh, a big job for us at the airport. That was probably the, the biggest job we had done uh, to date until the last couple of years where we found some other projects that large. Um, I was really young at the time. So it was, you know, I was on that site every day for, for about a year. I hadn't, uh, I had just gotten married and we were, my wife was, my ex-wife was pregnant at the time. So it was a lot going on for me personally, but we did some pretty iconic ones like the Air Canada Center, like where uh, Scotiabank Arena is now, where the Maple Leafs play and the Raptors play. We did the old Maple Leaf Gardens, which is now a Ryerson Athletic Center and a, and a grocery store. Um, so we've done some cool stuff like that, too, over the years. And it's uh, we did a job just recently up in Attawapiska. We took down the Victor Mine for De Beers, and it was a remote project. So we had to fly equipment in and... Hercules airplane, fly some out with a Hercules airplane. And we might be going back up there this winter to do a bit more work on the ice road. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, so those are always unique projects, fun projects. We're doing a really big project right now. It's Stelco and Hamilton and it's, uh, it's great. I've heard about the Stelco one. That's quite the project. I think you've got some Komatsu PC 1250s out there with some of the largest shears maybe in, in Canada, if, if I'm correct. Yeah. The yeah it's, uh, we put a second member shear on a Komatsu PC 1250 there. So that's, it's, it's, it's a really big shear for sure. And it's, I think there might be others in Canada, but that's the largest one you can get for sure. So in Canada, so it's, uh, it works really good. And, uh, we have a third member shear on one as well. And then we have the, the actually, we just kept the other one for, uh, for excavation for pulling foundations. So again, you got this great big PC 1250. Now we just upped our game. So can do a lot more concrete removal than a, Lots of pieces more than 90, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And that's, I mean, that's typically a machine you see in a production setting in a mine site. And here it is, you know, munching away at a, a building or a concrete foundation uh, yeah. with a massive shear. But there's another piece of equipment that you guys recently acquired. And I think, you know, just kind of watching from the outside, I think that's a, a major milestone for, for priestly demolition as well. And that's the new Cabelco High Reach um, that you guys have acquired. And I think a few people... That listen may have seen it on social media. You guys have put out a lot of good content from that. But could you tell us, you know, a bit more about that machine, like where it came from? What was the reasoning to purchase uh, a high reach of that size? Yeah. So the Stelco project, we had to we had to reach up high, and then we want to put a bigger tool at at a at the hundred foot or the hundred twenty foot mark. So we 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 were in the market. We were going to you know, design and build our own high reach. Um, and uh, I got talking to a contractor in California and, you know, as far as building one would take probably a year or two to, to get. So uh, those projects are, are a little more of a commitment in the sense that they're, they're so far out. So he had this machine. We went down and looked at it and we made a deal. And um, while all that went down, we ended up getting a project in Edmonton. It's a 12-story building downtown Edmonton. So we actually moved to Edmonton to do that project first, and then we're going to bring it to Ontario. So it uh, gives us more reach than we've ever had, number one. Number two is we can put a bigger tool at the 100, 120-foot high range. So right now we have 13 high reaches in our fleet of high reach, and we have machines that can reach the 150, the 120 100 foot, 80 foot. So we're, we're, we're kind of covered across the spectrum up to about the 150 foot mark, but this machine is going to put us up to about the 175 foot mark. So it's a little higher again, but at the 100 foot mark, instead of using a six or 7,000 pound tool, we're going to use like a 20,000 pound tool. So, you know, you're just going to bring down higher buildings faster with it. It's, 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 it's going to be really good. It's, it's one heck of a machine after seeing a few photos. It's an absolute weapon. And uh, it came out of California and you guys have dressed it up quite nice in the, in the priestly colors there. You've got the white and, and white body and the red counterweight and a few other red pieces. I think some of the hydraulic cylinders are red too. But how does, curious, how does the operator see what he's doing when he's 175 feet in the air? How is he seeing what his work tool on the end of the machine's doing? Well, we, we do have a camera outfitted at the, at the end of the stick, so you can always use it. And it's got a great big screen in the in the cab. But I'd say generally speaking, you know, everybody always asks that question, but the amount of time you spend working at that 100 and, you know, 
60, 70 foot mark is, is limited. So you, if you picture a 12 story building, the first six floors of a 12 story building are say from the 80 foot mark and down, you don't need a camera for that. And the top six floors, well, you know, again, once you, once you slowly get up there, I think your eyes just adjust and I think you just get more comfortable with looking up that high and, and you can see that far away, but it has to be a clear day. Can't be snowing or raining. It can't be, you know, too, too dusty, what have you, but you also have a camera if you're actually going to just look at something specifically. So, and always when we're using that machine, there's always uh, someone standing almost, you know, right beside it. So everybody's watching all the time. Just speaking to where that machine fits in the in the demolition process, obviously, you know, the first stage is planning and then abatement of any hazardous materials inside the building. But that machine would come in and take down the top, you know, five or six floors. And then at what point would, say, a, a regular excavator with a, a shear or, or some sort of concrete crushing attachment come in and, and take over? Well, that particular project, that machine will do, you know, all the way down to like that the third or fourth floor, but we actually have a second high reach there as well on the project that's on. So it's a, a case 460 high reach as well. So the case 460 can help out on some of the lower floors, etc. And then we have a regular uh, cat 325 there just with a grapple on it, loading out the concrete and chewing up the, the rebar and stuff like that. So we, we don't even have a, a really big regular machine there. It's, it's, it's just a smaller one. So it's, it's been working out pretty good. Interesting. So big high reach to little high reach to regular excavator. That's kind of the the, the process there. Yeah. Um, Curious to get your opinion on company branding and culture. I I watch a lot of what Priestley does and, you know, I see as of recently, you guys have, you obviously take a lot of pride in your, your fleet of equipment and your people, but a lot of the branding you have on your equipment, especially as of recent, some of the white and and red coloring and, and dressing machines up nice with logos Obviously, demolition's a bit tougher to keep equipment looking spick and span because it's 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 right in the mix of of demolition, so super tough to keep counterweights scratch free. But you know, in, in terms of company branding and culture, how important is that to uh, Priestley in the modern day demolition industry? Well, the the company branding is is I, once you start doing it, it just starts to happen and. It, when you when you build a brand, you know it, it it does show power. It does show experience. It does show, you know, a comfort level for for people to 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 want to call on you or or use you. So, you know, I'd say it's huge for us uh, our branding. And just again, when you see our machines, you 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 automatically know who it is doing the project. So you're not hiding anything or you know anything like that. But uh, it's just uh, seeing that brand. It's just uh, the brand awareness out there. Is just it's overwhelming. So we're constantly trying to work on our brand and keep it keep it going. Um, the other thing is is the the culture, and it's just it's been you know I, I spent so much time in the field, and my father was so hands on, and so on and so forth. That uh, you know we always had this this really strong culture where everybody worked together as a team and. You know, we always wanted to be work smarter, not harder. And we always wanted to be, you know, safe. And we always wanted to be on time. And, you know, if the, if the customer says, can you do this? And we say, yes, we want to make sure we fulfill that commitment. And, you know, it's just always, always been that way. And 
So trying to keep the culture going is, uh, again, a, a full-time job here. And it's as the company grows, it's, uh, you know, you just got to keep navigating those waters and making sure that you, you keep enough of your grassroots level that you keep that as part of your culture. But you also, you know, attract new talent and so on and so forth with, with, the, with the bigger and better culture all the time. And you make a really good good point there about you can you can have all the the logos and the branding right, but if you don't have the back end uh, support or being able to deliver on on certain asks, if you will, from from clients, the the branding won't be as solid as 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 your guys's is currently and and moving forward. In terms of you know company culture, what what does that look like to you, and why is that important? to a successful company like are you guys really focused on a safety culture we have we have our core values that i think are sort of the pillars of our culture and then from there it's just always about you know moving forward and and, and it's a very fast-paced environment you know like a lot of our contracts are in and out so we're it's not like we're going into a site for two years everywhere yeah okay we might have a site like that like at stelco or an atawapscat where they're long they're big long duration but we do a lot of work where it's, you know, three weeks or three months. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't hit the ground running and, and, and get going before you know it, you're out of time. So it's just, uh, I think the culture here is just about trying to solve the little problems and make sure that we got a good plan in place and, and, and everyone work together. So it's, it's just nice when you, we self-perform so much of our work. It's not like we're sitting here calling a subcontractor to deliver a machine and we're not calling a subcontractor to do the asbestos. We're not calling a subcontractor to fix our machine. We're not calling a subcontractor to operate our machine. We're not calling a subcontractor to backfill the hole. We're, we're doing it all ourselves, all, you know, A to Z. We do our own crushing. So again, it's just about everybody working together. And when you get to the size we are now, you just, you, you, you always got to pay attention. Otherwise you get silos where people are like, Oh, I just work in the crushing. Well, no, you, you'd work in the crushing, but if there's no crushing to do and you're on a demolition job, we need you over here. You're going to help out over here today. Cause that's what we need done today because that's, what's going to make us have a successful project, you know? And uh, I think people like that culture. You know, I, I think people like to do their job and everything else, but I think people like the opportunity at Priestley to, to grow within the company and, and, and see different aspects of it. And, we travel around a lot. So if you want to travel, you know, you have the opportunity, but if you want to stay home, that's fine too. So it just, uh, it's a, it's, it's a very good place for a career at Priestley. And you touched on some really good points there about investing people and, and allowing them to move horizontally or laterally up within a, a company. And I think that's some of the defining you know, facets of a, a really good company is providing opportunity for people, having a good culture of we're going to work together on this project. We're going to do it safely. So I think, I think if you guys are doing something right over, over at uh, Priestly Demolition. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know it any other way. We're, we're, we're doing what we've been doing here the whole time. And, you know, it's not like I had an aha moment one day and say, Oh, we need to do this. It's just been our way the whole time. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, constantly uh, working away at it. Some final thoughts before we uh, wrap up here. Um, what do you, where do you see the demolition industry going this decade and beyond? What do you think will be different, if anything, 10, 20 years uh, from now? I, I, I think that a lot of bad accidents 
are 100% preventable today. I think there's enough software or technology or, or, or whatever you want to call it to prevent anything from happening. So for me, moving forward, I see us having like a, you know, like you said earlier, we might scratch a counterweight. We might have someone trip and fall or something like something small like that. But I just don't see us having, you know, any kind of epic failure on a demolition project because we can do everything you need to do now to make it safe. We have everything we, we need internally to turn over a safe, deliverable project. So I think in 10, 20 years from now, it's, it's, it's just going to get even safer and safer and safer. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some more technology come into the marketplace, you know, offering some, some, some remote control or maybe even some, some kind of, I don't know, uh, like maybe a rock truck might be driverless or something like that. But I just, uh, I do see some of that happening for sure. It's, it's going to happen a lot quicker than we we might think or want, but uh, it's about embracing it where, where it applies and uh, where it applies, uh, use as much as you can. You know, it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the GPS on your bulldozer. Everybody says you don't need it. Well, once you have it, you're never going back. Like it's, it's, it's here to stay. It's uh, it makes sense. It's uh, it's 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 great to have. Use less material, and, and you 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 have more production. End of story. That's that's it. You, you can you can talk about it for ten days, but it's not it's not going to change. That's the bottom line. So, I see a lot of that happening overall in our industry, and uh, we have probably six engineers on staff now, and we can engineer any project internally pretty much we fabricate and design our own protection systems like when we were doing the gardener expressway we, we came up with the concept of the shields on the on the machines and we're doing a bridge project right now where we created we built a platform we we reused an old bailey bridge off a off a project we, we saved it and then we put it back into circulation to use this protection for this project that we're doing currently um, so it's just, it's, and we're able to do that because we have our own engineering team and, um, we can design it. So you can design these jobs to be very, very safe. I agree with you there. I, I was curious to get your thoughts on how technology would make a, an appearance in demolition. Uh, cause if you look at some of the earthworks guys, there's obviously 2d, 3d GPS and, and drone surveys, but apart from, from safety and in kind of a bidding standpoint, do you think there'll be more technology involved in the actual demolition process, the physical removal of structures or buildings? Yeah, it's going to be, it's uh so like right now we, we can actually scan a building and then create it ourselves in the drawing form here. So even if somebody doesn't have any existing information on a building, we can actually go in and, and uh, and scan it. So we have a laser scanner here, and we can create that file. I mean, it's a lot of work to do it, but you can do it. And it's um, you can you can see what machines will fit in there. I think there's going to be you know drone footage is going to be you know how we can use a drone to scale a pile of of aggregate in an aggregate yard and stuff like that. You're going to be able to go out on your demolition site and say how much garbage have I got, how much concrete have I got. And you're going to be able to go out there and scan and, and, and 
and scale off what you have there so you can quantify and see where you're going. I think all that is coming like really, really quickly. One, one final question for you, Ryan, if you were, you've got, you're in a coffee shop, you've got five minutes to sit down with a young Ryan Priestley from what you, you know, now what you've learned, what would you tell a young Ryan Priestley or for that matter, somebody else who's getting into the demolition industry uh, themselves? What, what pieces of advice would you pass on to them? Buy Tesla. <laughs> buy Bitcoin. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, listen, I, I, I love the industry. So if you love the industry, you know, I don't really think you can go wrong. I don't think you have to have the biggest company out there. I think that actually things happen for a reason. And I think that, you know, a lot of guys can start it with the, with the, literally a shovel and a crowbar and go get yourself an interior demolition job and you can make money at it. If you love it and you like it, then you'll buy more and get more. And slowly but surely you can scale up any, any business you want. Really, when you look at it, my father started 50 years ago and you know, priest demolition is, you know, just celebrated its 25th year, a year ago. So it's, it's 25 years old, but I mean, it's just, it's uh it's it, it takes time to to grow a business and i think if you want to start out i think you got to give yourself five years i don't think that is specific to the demolition business i think for any entrepreneur starting any business i think if you want to actually start like a you know an accounting firm you know probably it'll be five years of of grinding it out to to get it to where it's actually making sense otherwise you're just buying yourself a job so to be a true entrepreneur i think you got to say i got a five-year plan and I think that the other thing I would say to anyone else is don't be afraid to get advice. I mean, I had my father constantly, I could run something by him, but I also had, you know, good people in the industry that I could talk to and I was comfortable asking him a question and I was comfortable with them giving me the honest answer. A lot of people don't, don't do well with that. Right. So they, they keep it all inside and they can't communicate what's going on and they, they struggle. But if you can get through the first five years, then, You'll be laughing after that. Ryan, thank you again for, for taking time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. It's, it's great to have a knowledgeable person like yourself on the show to talk demolition. If somebody had questions for yourself, what would be the best way to, to reach out to you? Yeah, you can reach me at uh, rpriestley at priestley.ca. Either by email or I believe you have LinkedIn as well, if there's some, some yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn followers. LinkedIn or email or um, it's fine. Yeah. Again, thank you, uh, Ryan for, for being on the show. It's, it's great to have you on here. And I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. We've, we've covered quite a bit. We've talked everything from kind of where Priestley started right through to the salvage component to demolition and, and company branding and culture. But again, thank you, Ryan. And, and if you enjoyed today's show, everyone, please, please do share it with someone who you think needs to hear it either in demolition or not in demolition. And uh, until next time, we'll, we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thanks a lot, Mac.